So this afternoon, um, I want to speak to you briefly, and then Daphne will speak to you, and uh, the manager, Bryony, will also speak with you to wrap up the um, retreat announcements and things. But first, I want to speak to you about the practice of dana or generosity as the way that the teachings have been preserved and handed down to us from the time of the Buddha. After the Buddha's awakening, there was a lot of interest in hearing what he had realized, and he freely offered his understanding to those who were sincere in inquiring. And after some period of time, when there were others who had realized liberation that he had, and there was more interest, he uh, allowed his monks at that time to uh, accept invitations to share the teachings. But he said that you should go where you're invited, only where you're invited. It's not like missionary work trying to recruit people. Uh, only where you're invited. If the people who are inviting are sincere in hearing the teachings. And because the monks require daily support in order to receive their food, their lodging, and other things, they could only stay where they were supported. So if they got invited but they weren't supported, they couldn't stay there. So with that, the Buddha allowed or encouraged uh, the monks to to go where they were invited. And to the best of our knowledge, that is the way the teachings have been carried down to us for 25, nearly 2,600 years. There's a lot of history in there that has uh, been lost, but the monastic order has continued. Even today, when you go to Asia, to the remaining Buddhist countries, Thailand, Burma, Sri Lanka. When you go to any of the monasteries or meditation centers, they're almost all uh, open to those who are sincere in their inquiry and interest to practice and without charge. My experience in Burma was that when I was there to practice. The people that knew of me or saw me and other foreigners there were so amazed, really, that anybody would want to come from the West to Burma, in this case, and to practice, which is basically a practice of renunciation, that they were so happy, so... Uh, I don't think surprised is the word because they themselves know the value of the practice, but they just thought it was pretty extraordinary and they were more than happy to provide anything that I needed or that any of the other Westerners needed, whether it was medicine or tropical clothes or uh, robes and food, why not? And 
it's a great gift to be supported in and encouraged by their faith and their generosity. And there's nothing you can do for them. You know, you can't pay them back. You can't <laughs> do anything back. And, and same with the monks, especially with the monks. All you can do is practice with integrity. And that's their benefit. The benefit for them is that their gift to you is being respected and used for practice in a very sincere and authentic way. And so as a monk when I was practicing and when I would go on alms round and, and see the people daily who were offering um, the food for support, it was such a moving um, expression of their faith and in my receiving their gifts just just enough to get by. It wasn't anything extravagant. It wasn't uh, more than necessary, but it was enough. And I realized that all I could do was just practice with integrity and try to uh, do the best I could. And so too, when the first generation of Western teachers were practicing in Asia, they were supported that way. Joseph in uh, India, some with his own funds and some at the Burmese Vihara, and Jack in Thailand, Sharon in India. And in every case, uh, they were supported in some ways. And when they came back to the States to start teaching in the early 70s, there was a question as to how are we going to do this? Because here in the West, everything costs money. And if it doesn't cost anything, it's not worth anything. And yet, everything that they'd received of the Dharma was offered freely. So I think it was a real stroke of genius for that first generation of Western teachers to come up with this model of making the Dharma available in the West. It's kind of a hybrid model where the centers or the organizers of retreats um, operate on within the economy of the country. You know, you have to kind of pay your bills. And so the fee that you pay to come here covers the expenses IMS incurs. But the teachers decided then that they would never charge for the teachings, that they themselves or their support uh, would not be included in the registration fees or whatever fees you pay. And it was a way of preserving the teachings, I believe, because the, uh, the Dharma is not for sale. It has been freely offered for 2,600 years, and that first generation of teachers, and continuing with us also, uh, accept whatever invitations we can to offer the teachings freely without putting a price on it. Why is that important? It's important because it allows us to tell you the truth. This is the way it is. This is what the Dharma says. And uh, we're not tailoring what we say to you because that's what you're willing to pay for. That's what you're willing to buy. 
We're telling you as we've heard it. And it's not always easy to hear, as you know. Uh, some of what we hear in the Dharma is counterintuitive and downright shocking. <laughs> Nevertheless, that's the way it is. So it actually allows us to be uh, honest and not have to edit, censor, omit, uh, or cut out anything from the Dharma. The first decade of teaching or sharing the Dharma in the West was really tough for a lot of the teachers. And I know that Jack, I, I know Jack Joseph and Sharon personally in those first years. And really, they lived out of a suitcase in one of the rooms upstairs when they were here and in rooms in somebody else's house on the couch wherever they were traveling to teach. And it was not easy, but it is just the tremendous wisdom and understanding that they have of the value of the Dharma and the, the understanding that the Dharma is not just the meditation, but it's really the all the practices like Kamala was talking about last night of generosity, living in harmony, and the development of the mind, the three pillars, the three foundations for establishing our life in the Dharma that is required in order to preserve the Dharma here in the West, to establish it and preserve it. And so the practice of generosity is essential. So most subsequent teachers since the first generation have also undertaken the obligation, responsibility, commitment to offer the teachings without charge without putting a price on it. Now what that means practically for we who are householders and not monks and nuns is we are able to do what we do because students like yourself support us to do that. Kamala and I and uh, Deborah are householders just like you. We have mortgages and we have health insurance premiums and we have cars to pay and operate and we have buy our own food. And none of us have a sugar Buddha <laughs> that is kind of anonymously putting checks into our bank account monthly. And no such thing. And IMS doesn't, doesn't support us, and Spirit Rock doesn't support us, and, and, and others don't support us. And there's no, there's no institution in Asia that supports us. There's no, it's, it's, it's totally on uh, the, the generosity of students like yourself who hear the teachings, practice the teachings, appreciate the teachings, and somehow want us to be able to continue to do that. Luckily, we're able to do that. There is you, many of you, have been very generous over many years uh, to enable us to continue to do this. But let me say for Kamala and I, and I know some of the other teachers, but I'm not speaking specifically about them. But when we receive your gifts, financial gifts, in support of our being able to teach, we do not consider that money ours. We consider it an investment on your part in the Dharma, in the Western Sangha, and we use those funds 
to support making the Dharma available to you now and in the future. What that means is we stay alive, we eat, we, we do what we need to do, and we use the, the remainder of the resources to support our teachers, both in Asia and here, to support scholarship funds wherever we go to teach, to offer dana, meal dana in most places where we go, to, um, we're, we're creating a small Dharma sanctuary hermitage on Maui. We're, uh, we underwrite the publication of Dharma books that either are not profitable or are for intended for free distribution, like Sayadaw Utejaniya's books, we've done that. And Mahasi Sayadaw's book, The Manual of Insight, will soon be published, we hope. And we do, we use the funds that you offer in a way that we think would most support the Dharma being available and, and lasting here in the West. So in that way, whatever you offer to the teachers is really an offering to supporting the teachings being available. And we like to be um, as open and as transparent as possible uh, with the financial relationships that we have so that you can be clear, you can be confident, and uh, you can be sure that your donations are, are being used in this way and not being abused, really. So, if you have any questions about how it works, how it doesn't work, what happens, what doesn't happen, I would like to be able to answer them. Uh, let me just say that Kamal and I are, and I'm sure Deborah also, are extremely grateful for your support. We love this work. We love the Dharma. We love this work. It is an honor. It's a privilege to be able to share the Dharma with you and to be able to uh, connect in the intimacy of our heart and to be able to help you really hear, receive, practice, and realize the Dharma. It is just a privilege uh, and it's a, a way of life that we just cannot imagine not doing. So given that, we will live on whatever is offered. And however that is, uh, we're, not, we're not famished. We don't run around in rags. We're doing okay. So I'm not, I'm not pinching you like that. But, you know, it's an ongoing thing. Just as monks cannot put aside food one day, an excess of food one day for the next day, not many of us Dharma teachers are doing that either. It's a day-to-day -day or month-to-month, year-to-year. Thank you for the support. We'll do it next week. And uh, maybe that's the way it, it always will be. But it's a way of life that we're willing to live with. So is there any questions about the practice of dana in support of the teachers and teaching or how it works for us? Or Yeah. 
Aren't you guys also building a meditation center in, in Maui? Yes. So the, the question is, are we building a meditation center? Yes and no. We're not building a meditation center like this for retreats, but we do have a piece of land, and we are uh, creating a Dharma sanctuary there. And in the future, we hope to be able to have people uh, practicing there for short periods of time. But we won't be doing big retreats or anything like that. question, but, I don't know, I guess it's about money, but donations to you are tax-deductible? Yes. Uh, first, she said, I feel a little awkward asking this, and then went on to ask a very ordinary and normal question. And let me just say, no matter what you're thinking about this topic, it's not an awkward question. If it helps you understand, then, then it's really beneficial. Useful. Um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I want to write it off in my taxes. That work? No problem. Uh, all the donations here to the teachings, in support of the teachings, will be made to uh, Insight Meditation Society, and they receive them as a tax. Uh, you, re- you will get a tax benefit from that. It goes through a process, and, and in time, we receive... Uh, a share. Yeah. Yeah. Has anyone given thought in this system to uh, what happens when teachers can no longer teach because of Has anyone given thought to whatever happens to teachers when they can no longer teach? Yeah, there's been a lot of thought given to that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at, at this point, it's it seems like every teacher is doing what they can for themselves. There is some annual fund distributed by IMS. They receive a grant each year to distribute among teachers for their retirement, and each of the teachers that teach here gets a small um, supplement or subsidy for their retirement each year from IMS. But other than that, there's no, um, not to my knowledge, I don't, I, I don't feel like I have the luxury of stop teaching. No. And why would I? I mean, it's life. Hello. <laughs> so, other comments, questions? Yeah? Wait, so you don't get all of Like, if I donate a certain amount of money to you guys, you don't get all of it? We, we do, but it, we're, it's taxed and, you know, okay. federal and local and, okay. you know, all that stuff. You know, so we get... You know, just like paid, yeah, yeah. It's the it's the law of the of the state and the country that this is how it has to be handled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We can't just give you cash. You can't just give us cash. <laughs> <laughs> if this wasn't be reco- being recorded. Uh, <laughs> You can give IMS cash. How's that? Uh, Other uh, comments or questions? I know uh, Daphne is going to speak about uh, IMS and the staff uh, and, and their support here. 
So I'm going to uh, thank you all for your for listening and for your questions. And for whatever support you offer, please know that um, it really uh, it's humbling and it's a it's a welcome responsibility to distribute it. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.